0: All right, we have a very special bonus episode for you. Mike D., who do we have on this episode today? We've got Budget
1: King. That's you. Oh, yeah. Mike D., that's me. Third person? (laughs) freaking call him pun. Cullen Bunn, one of our favorite comic book writers. He made
0: it to the podcast. He's written so many first issues. <laughs> yes, and so many comic books that you love. If you don't love his comic books, you're doing comic book reading wrong. Yeah, I gotta tell you. Uh, yeah, if you don't like his reading, I've got a gift for you,
1: and it's these hands, <laughs> all
0: ten fingers. Oh, uh, so uh, yep. Yeah. He blessed this podcast um, and so many great things. He, we decided to have him out on this week because um, he just released Night's Temporal and *Manner Black. If you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and check it out. So we had a huge indie week, and then he decided, hey, he'll come on the first issue club podcast. <laughs> it was his top priority <laughs> this week. <laughs> well, he so graciously came, and um, man, did we enjoy it. We, I think we kept our nerd in, nerding out in check. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, We have another thing that's going on, Mike. Yeah, if this is your first
1: time listening to us because you saw we have a cool kick-ass Colin Bunn interview, um, we are the First Issue Club, and we cover first-issue comic books each and every week. Uh, But as a lot of our fans know, we just started a Patreon page Mm -hmm. for our bonus content. So we're covering more stuff than just first issues, but we're doing it out of this feed so we can keep it clean, focused on comics truest form the first issue and then we're going to get uber nerdy and super nerd out on our patreon
0: which is the price of a single comic book once a month yep you just buy an extra comic book and then you get (laughs) comic book commentary on all other things we were occasionally getting called out from people saying um hey do you only read first issues So now we have a Patreon to prove them wrong. Yep. (laughs) Too many complainers
1: out there. Why don't you ever cover an issue number two? Well, we will. You just got to
0: pay for it now, bub. (laughs) Number twos ain't free. (laughs) Anyway, um, we are so bummed about this interview. Um, Just uh, check it out now. Hey, uh, Mike, um, what do we need to do now?
1: Um, I think we need to get this interview started.
0: Um, Okay, so I think, first of all, I think, I'll just confess, um, I'm a huge fan, I've I've been a huge fan, Um, The Sixth Gun was kind of uh, a comic book that took me back into comic books since I had been out for a while, Um, and I followed you over to Marvel as you went into Magneto and some Deadpool stuff um and then you just kept on coming with the hits with all of your horror stuff and so um we as a podcast have been following you for a long time um and really excited and, and we thought this is the perfect week with just two amazing indie books that you had out this week
1: exactly right um i know you're a midwest guy but i thought i'd start out with like where exactly are you from
2: you mean, well uh well first of all thank you for the kind words uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I live in the Midwest now. Uh, I grew up uh, in North Carolina, um, but uh, but I've lived in in Missouri for, at this point, for uh, longer than I lived in North Carolina. So I grew up in North Carolina, but I've been in Missouri for a long time now.
1: <laughs> what's What's that like being a comic book writer from the Midwest? I think there used to be a time when the coasts were kind of like the most— Plugged in places to to be a writer. What what's your experience like uh, now being a writer? Is it much of a difference being in any particular area of the country?
2: Um, not so much. I mean, it, yeah. At one point, at one time, if you wanted to really make it in, in comics, you kind of had to be in New York City. You right, know, yeah. and uh, and um, but that's changed. You know, over the years, I've never faced uh, a real issue with it on the comic book front. It had already. Uh, decentralized, so you know, de- you know, it's it spread out across the world. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, a lot of really talented comic book creators in, in you know, in Missouri in particular, uh, you know, just in the Midwest, but just all over the country. Uh, you know, the the internet and being able to, you know, telecommute if you need to, uh, has always been uh, has made it very easy. Uh, I still, you know, there have been times over the years where. Marvel or DC has, you know, done summits where they bring writers out to, to their offices for a few days to talk story. But for the most part, uh, working here has been pretty, you know, working from home has been pretty, pretty easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I've never had any, you know, any real issues with it. Uh, not in comics anyway. There's still, uh, when you start dealing with, uh, with you know, Hollywood and, and things like that, there's still uh there are still some difficulties working from from the midwest uh but uh, but even that is sort of starting to 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 the you know those restrictions i guess are starting to loosen a little
0: do do you have stuff that's like in in the hollywood uh, hopper at all
2: yeah yeah i mean i have several of my comics that are currently either you know optioned or under development or or you know in very in various stages of development at different places um, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I've been writing a few, uh, a few pilot scripts and, and feature scripts over the last, uh, last few months and things like that. So, so it's something, uh, that I'm dabbling in for sure. Cool.
0: That's awesome. Well, I can't wait for all of those. Then. <laughs> have, 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 is yeah. Th-
2: unfortunately, most of it, most of that stuff, it's like, you know, I have to wait for, uh, I have to wait for someone else to announce it. You know,
0: <laughs> that's what I was. Gonna I, s- I, we're pretty up on that stuff, and I was like, I haven't seen. Maybe I missed yeah, it. There, yeah,
2: there's some. There's some stuff. Uh, uh, there's there. There's always. There's always stuff in the works, right? And uh, the ch- the chances of it happening are are always pretty slim. I believe it when I see it, but uh, but yeah, there's there's
0: always stuff going on. That's awesome. So I I think one thing that strikes me about you in particular is like. You, your nerd kind of roots go insanely deep, like whether it's horror, it's history. I ran into you a, a con once and you were telling me how pumped you were to write Micronauts because it was like something from your past. And even like in, in Sixth Gun on the, the 21st issue, when you do a nod to G.I. Joe with the, with the silent issue. Um, yeah, you want to know
2: what's funny about that? Just to interrupt you, what's yeah. funny about that issue uh, so that was a nod to G.I. Joe issue 21, which was the silent Snake Eye, the first silent you know, Snake Eyes issue. Um, right. and, and Brian Hurt and I wanted to do a silent issue from the beginning. We didn't plan it to be 21, though. We just knew we were going to do a silent issue. It just happened to fall on issue 21, which was kind of perfect. Oh, uh, that's I,
0: crazy. Okay. I know.
2: I always think that's funny. Uh, we were actually doing a signing at a comic book store, and we mentioned that we were doing a silent issue. And one of the employees said, oh, is, is it going to be issue 21? And, uh, and both of us were kind of taken aback. We had not remembered that it was G.I. Joe <laughs> 21. And, uh, and we were like, oh, wow. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
0: so, okay, that's comforting to me because I, I learned about the G.I. Joe issue from your issue. And, and so, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, along those lines, like, I, I guess since you do have so many nerd roots that kind of I'd always, like, amaze your audience, Is like, what, what was it like growing up Cullen? Like, what were the things you were into?
2: <laughs> well, uh, I was into uh, I was into almost anything nerdy. I guess you know I, I grew up reading comics. I was reading comics from a very young age. Uh, you know I, it was a it was a beautiful time where you could get comics at the you know the grocery store down the street, uh, and uh, and you could get them at garage sales for you know fifty comics for five dollars and things like that. So I was reading any comic I could get my hands on uh, from superheroes. To horror stuff, um, I was uh, I was big into Dungeons and Dragons. I really loved that game, and, and just role playing games in general. As I got older, into into other you know other role playing games. But then I liked all the movies and you know TV, you know geek TV shows and you know pretty much I was and, and novels. I was reading you know Tolkien and Lovecraft and Stephen King. Anything I could get my hands on, I was uh, I was super excited about you know, I think, you know, it's interesting because now there's so much of it. Um, I think I would still be hungry for it, but there's so much of it. Uh, when I was a kid, there was still a lot, but it didn't, uh, it, it felt like I was, uh, you know, whenever I found something, it was a, a remarkable, you know, a remarkable experience. And
0: are you, are you originally from the South? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so in growing up, like where exactly, I guess, it was in North Carolina. In North Carolina, did you have like a big a big group of other people that were into this, or did you find yourself kind of just wandering, hoping to find other uh, <laughs> nerd landscapes?
2: No, we we had a core group of friends who were all all into it. You know, I had a you know it was a it was a pretty good group of friends. Uh, when we were younger, it was a big group. You know, like, I would say there were 20, 30 of us. And then you know, it kind of as you get older, certain people their tastes change, their interests change. Um, so my my core group kind of dwindled a little bit, and then uh, I joined as a early teenager. I joined the boys' club, and founded a, a Dungeons and Dragons club nice. at the boys' club. And we had a lot of people that joined in with that. Um, our local library for a while had a Dungeons and Dragons club, so uh, and that helped, you know, because a lot of people who were into D and D were also into comics, and uh, and then. A comic book store opened up in our in in our town, and we we you know my dad helped me put flyers up around uh, around supermarkets and things like that, and we we did a, a comic book club, just trying to to build that that connection um, to you know to, to, with other people who had similar interests, which wasn't as easy as it is now. You know, with Twitter, you can find anybody, you know, you can find people with interest very quickly. Uh, But uh, but back then, our our Twitter was a flyer hanging up in the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: You know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because, you know, we do cover first issues every single week and all the time um, when we walk into our comic book shops, we see uh, first issues from you constantly on all different kinds of publishers indie publishers the big two whether they're creator owned or pre-existing franchise things I wanted to ask you when when do you sleep when when do
2: you, when do you get a break Um uh, between scripts I take a 30 minute nap between each script <laughs> it must now, you know uh it's funny I mean I, I do work long hours and I work you know a lot during the week uh but the last even the last several months I felt like uh I've been letting it slide a little bit, like I'm not working as much as I I want to or or should be. So uh, I feel like I'm slacking off. Well, I, I'm surprised I felt, to hear I that. Felt like, yeah, <laughs> I felt like I'm I've, I've been slacking off for a couple of, for a couple of months now.
1: <laughs> so, uh, well, since you do um, write for a lot of different pubs and do a lot of different books, uh, how do you? I was wondering, how do you choose what projects you take uh, on and and how do you decide where you take them?
2: Well, uh, you know, with, with creator owned stuff, it's pretty, pretty easy. I mean, the stuff that I, the stuff that I gravitate to are just stories that I, you know, I, I'd love to tell. Uh, it's something that I think has, uh, you know, has something special about it. Uh, and, uh, and if for the most part there's it's a no brainer for me with these creator own stories. Uh, there are, there are things that I've developed and I start working on and I, I realize sometimes even late in the game that it's the story is just not there. It's just not something I want to do. Um, and it kind of dies on the vine and it goes back into a folder. I may revisit it at some point or it may, you know, languish forever. Um, but I have, a. I have like a list of creator own pitches. You know, there are a couple of paragraphs each, very short, high-level concept pitches. And some publishers I've just taken that list to,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I've said, okay, here's the list. What do you like? And, <laughs> uh, and you know, they'll come back and they say, well, we like this story, and then I'll start developing it for them and fleshing it out a little bit. Um, and other times the publisher comes to me and says, we need a – we need you – know, you know, well – with creator Own, it's happened a couple of times with Aftershock, and so the, 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 the biggest example I guess I can give is I, did, I had given Aftershock that list of story ideas, and they picked a couple off that list that they liked, and I developed them out, and I finished one of those series, and after that series, Aftershock came back and said, we'd love to do another book with you, and we'd love for you to work with this artist again. And they just mentioned in the email, and the artist loves Dracula. Oh. <laughs> so that night I sat down and wrote a pitch for a story that would, would become Brothers Dracula, which was about uh, Vlad Tepes and his brother Radu uh, being trained as vampire hunters when they were teenagers. And uh, and that became Brothers Dracula. And I put that pitch together because I knew the artist wanted to do something with Dracula. I thought it would be you know a fun story, and that's where that came from. So sometimes they just come, you know, immediately off, you know, out of my head, and, and that's what hap- what that's what happens with them. Um, with Marvel and DC, it's a little different. You know, early on, I would take whatever they would offer me. Um, and then as time went by, I realized there are certain stories, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just not right for. So I, I try only to take the work and the stories that I think I have something I can contribute Or I really think I can breathe some life into it or in or I just think it's going to be, you know, a lot of fun. So, (laughs) yeah, it's on that. That's that's
1: something that I've always wondered when you when, you know, creators do take on these like huge flagship books like you've written for like X-Men or Venom. um, You know, it, it seems like you would have to be a big fan of books like that with such a rich history and complicated backstory to to jump in. Can you, can you speak to some like preparation of writing for books like that?
2: Well, it it all depends on the book. You know, I've written a ton of Deadpool stuff over, over the years. Uh, and I was not a Deadpool fan when I took my first Deadpool project. Uh, Marvel called me and said, would you like to do uh, a book? We don't know what it's, we don't know anything about it except we want it to be called Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. (laughs) And, uh, and at the time, I needed work, and I was, you know, ready to do a big, you know, ready to do work for Marvel in a bigger way. So I immediately agreed to it. But at the, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge Deadpool fan. I just knew that I, uh, I immediately had a story in mind and an approach to Deadpool that I thought would be a little different than what people were would be expecting. Um, and now I've grown to appreciate Deadpool a lot more over the years, uh, having written so many. Deadpool stories, but I wasn't, I don't think you absolutely have to be a fan of these characters to take on, um, to take on one of these stories. Uh, now in the case of X-Men, I loved X-Men since I was a kid. So writing, you know, writing uncanny X-Men and Magneto and and X-Men blue, those were all dream projects for me. So, uh, the research I did with those is that I've been reading X-Men forever. You know I, I was I was there, and I just, uh, you know I, I, I just wanted to tell the kind of stories that I remembered loving as a as an X-Men fan. Um, so when you get these projects, you either, you know, you can do a lot of research, you can uh, I typically I tend to, when I get a new project, dig into the character, read other stories that other people have done you know, read as many of the, of those, you know, of the storylines as I can. If I'm not familiar with them already, I become familiar with them just to get a tone of the character and, and an idea of what's, you know, come before.
1: Yeah. I'll say that, uh, I know Mike and I have both read that Magneto run that you did. Uh, and it's a book that we've certainly recommended to a lot of people. Like we are huge fans of that one. Um, but just wondering, um, since you have written for so many different titles, is there like a bucket list book that you have? Like what's your like white whale that you're chasing?
2: Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, at this point, it's always – the easy answer is always it's whatever, whatever the next creator-owned project is. Um, <laughs> and, and that sounds like a cop-out answer. But in all honesty, uh, my frequent collaborator, Brian Hurt, and I just sent off a new proposal to a publisher this week. And and that's one I'm really excited about, and I'm really got my fingers crossed that 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 book happens because I think it'll be something special. Um, from a you know from a a fandom perspective, I'd love to write some of Marvel's horror characters or some of DC's horror characters, Swamp Thing uh, or Man Thing. So I can go either one, Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm, sure. uh, any of the swamp creatures, <laughs> it, I'd be excited to write. Um, you know, I've always felt that both both Marvel and DC have always kind of ignored the fact that I write a ton of horror books. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Deadpool kills the Marvel universe, yes, is a Deadpool book. It's also a horror, a horror book. If you, you know, right. It's, yeah. it's not written as anything other than, uh, a, a very dark horror story, to be honest. It just happens to start Deadpool.
0: So along those lines and this, I'm getting to a different question that I was going to ask. I guess that's, that's how I think of you is somewhat of your brand as like, horror and, and sometimes like a little bit like, um, Southern or mi- Midwestern kind of country horror when it, when it's sure. appropriate, like, is that something that you embrace? Um, or is that something that you just feel like kind of just got lopped on? Cause like people like that stuff that you wrote?
2: <laughs> no, uh, I think, I think for a while I kind of avoided it. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be, uh, branded as any kind of writer. So I, I don't know that I actually actively avoided it. But I didn't uh, I didn't go after it. Uh, These days, I see myself as a horror writer. Um, There are some other things I do. You know, I'm 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 interested in other types of stories, but uh, but I absolutely uh, gravitate more frequently to darker stories, horror, you know, horror stories. And uh, and that's the kind of stuff I like most. So I don't uh, I don't shy away from that moniker if people want to call me a horror writer.
0: Cool. Well, I mean, that is a great segue. We we have you here because you had two new book books last week. You had uh, Manor Black out on Dark Horse and Nights Temporal out on Aftershock. Um, let's talk about Manor Black for a minute, if that's okay. You sure you, you want to set it up for like what what is Manor Black for those who may not have read it yet? Sure.
2: So Manor Black is a book that I'm co-writing with. Uh, I mentioned him earlier with Brian Hurt, uh, and is being illustrated by Tyler Crook, who worked with me on Harrow County. Um, and it's, it's very much, uh, a dark supernatural soap opera. I kind of think of it in terms of like, a, a dark shadows, uh, type of, of feel. And it's the story of a family of, of, uh, sorcerers. Uh, the head of that family is getting ready to, uh, go on to whatever's beyond this life. So he has to choose, he has to make some choices in terms of who's going to secede him as, a you know as as the new head of the family. Um, and as he's in the midst of making that choice, this stranger kind of comes into their to their life, uh, another sorcerer from a different house of magic who's on the run from someone who's trying to uh, trying to kill her. And uh, and it kind of not only does it it's put them into the, you know into the right into the crosshairs of this oncoming danger. But it also sets uh, the family on edge because the the arrival of this new sorcerer kind of puts a you know puts a big question into um, you know who's going to be, you know, what what choices the, the leader of this family is going to be making.
0: Yeah, and I, I love that you paint it as like a, a soap opera horror, because that is like what it feels like. I I think with this book it it works so well, like the the horror like the light horror that you get and then the, the right amount of horror on different pages to, to me, um, horror doesn't seem like a naturally translatable genre for comic books. It seems like it's somewhat sometimes made for cinema, but you have definitely thwarted that idea. Like, is what, how do you do that? Like how have you mastered translating horror for the comic book page?
2: Well, I think the, I, I don't, you know, I, well, I don't necessarily agree that it, that, that, horror isn't made for comics i do agree that uh a lot of people do it wrong and uh and i think i think uh i see a lot of a lot of horror comics that don't rely on mood and tone which is the only way you could you you know you can't get a jump scare like you can in a movie right and you don't have a soundtrack to put you on on edge like you do in a movie but you can lean into the tone of the of horror you can lean into this feeling of uneasiness and you can you know if you do your job right you can make readers care about the characters and worry about them and what might happen to them and in that way you can you can create a book that is uh is unsettled that can be unsettling and uh and 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 haunting while not necessarily being all about the the boot moment
0: right yeah i mean i think that's that's exactly what happens like when we see that um the blood orb or like the blood time uh dripping that happens in the in the first manor black it's like that's just kind of this like you're pulling back the curtains of how deep this like mansion and this like magic is really going um so yeah Yeah, and,
2: and, and we want you know
0: uh
2: brian and i are very much uh we love building worlds we can't help but really try to dig in and and try to create a a bigger mythology around everything we do. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff, those are elements where we're trying to build in sort of a mythology of a, of a, you know, a sinister and, and creepy universe.
0: Yeah. And, and so you, I, we, you mentioned Brian a lot. I think some of your best work has been done with, with Brian or some of my favorite work and you, you guys have shadow roads together as well. And now you've brought Tyler Crook into this book, um, which you know from the all of the stuff that you did with harrow county to me this book felt momentous and it felt like there was kind of like a super team going on like i did that is that just from an audience standpoint or like how did it feel did that did you feel that as well
2: well i mean you got to keep in mind because tyler and brian are both guys that i've worked with the most Mm -hmm. you know in in comics that i've worked with consistently longer probably than any other you know collaborative partner so it felt uh big to me because i got to work with with two guys that i just really genuinely enjoy their company and enjoy working with um and tyler is is uh tyler's a guy that that both brian and i even when tyler did some filling issues for the six gun mm-hmm. and he did that because we loved his work back then um so it's just uh, you know it's just a natural fit. We're all fans of each other's works and, uh, and wanted to, you know, do something more together. Uh, so it was certainly a big project for me. Um, I hope that, that readers, you know, get behind it and enjoy it as much as they, you know, seem to have enjoyed six gun and Harrow County, because it's, it's, you know, it's definitely sort of the next stage in evolution, I guess.
0: Yeah. I, I can't wait for book number two. Do you want to give any like hints or directions or anything like that? Or do you want to just leave it as is? So, uh, so after, uh, after the first issue, we're going to be
2: learning a little bit more about this, uh, this strange figure who is, is sort of hunting this, this young mage. We're going to learn more about this, uh, this young sorcerer's abilities and what her house represents. Um, and we're going to see that, uh, that uh, you know, this so there was a in the first issue without spoiling anything. There's a a death. Uh, one of the the law enforcement guys gets dies in this sort of mysterious way, and we're gonna reveal what's that what that's all about, and and it kind of sets up the the challenge for the next few issues.
0: Yeah, I have to say we covered that in our in our comic book in our uh, podcast. We don't write a comic book, um, <laughs> uh, and like and that that death, we were just like. Whoa! It like shocked it, us.
1: Uh, yeah, I, one of my things is that in so much in storytelling, you can kind of tell when someone's gonna, like, die, or if someone's a throwaway character because they'll be like really mean and ruthless, and then you feel like fine about them going. But this uh, cop character seemed like a real sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it kind of added to like the shock of him like going up in flames.
2: Well, that's interesting because yeah, it's something that uh, I catch myself sometimes. Uh, you know, I talk about mood and eeriness. Sometimes you can lean too far into it and build up the, you know, the tension around a character so much that you telegraph that something terrible is about to happen. Yeah. Um Although, and, and maybe that works in, in movies or TV because, you know, you're, you're on the edge of your seat. But with a comic, I feel like you have to surprise people with those kind of things. Yeah. So I have to, sometimes I have to dial it back myself and I have to catch myself from doing things that are going to telegraph Uh, these, you know, sudden shocking events. Uh, so that was an intent, you know, we intended, we didn't want anyone to see it coming and we didn't want to, you know, make him a bad guy, uh, because, uh, it would lessen, you know, it would lessen his death. Uh, If he was kicking a dog in the previous (laughs) we would all know he was going to die. Yeah. And he was going to get eaten Uh, by dogs later. Right. He's going to be eaten by dogs. (laughs)
1: All right. Uh, let's do the same thing for Knights uh, Temporal. Can you give our listeners a quick rundown of of what that book's all about?
2: Sure. So uh, Night's Temporal is sort of a dark fantasy story. Uh, it follows this knight, August de Rivere, that uh, uh, in the Middle Ages follows a necromancer into this dark, forbidden forest. Uh, and when he enters the forest, his friends say, "If you go in there, you'll never be seen again." But he goes anyway, and uh, the next time we see him, he is in modern-day L.A. Uh, and uh, we we get the idea that he's still pursuing this necromancer in another time and place. Um, but it's there's much more to this story than being a simple time travel story because we start seeing uh, August in other time periods, and we start to realize that uh, – What he does in one time period seems to impact his existence in these other time periods. So it becomes a very – it's a very strange – it's one of those stories that besides me saying it's a time-traveling night story, which is not (laughs) completely accurate, uh, it's an impossible to explain story beyond that I think. Yeah, so it's a time tra- It's a time traveling night story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know one of the. You just answered one of the questions that I had about this was that I kind of uh, it was an exciting, fun read, but I had a hard time putting my finger on the genre exactly. Like I didn't know if we were going to get a horror book or a straight up fantasy book or an you know action sci fi sort of well, story.
2: Yeah, it's it's absolutely got elements of all of that. You know, it's a it's a fantasy story. It is uh, action sci fi in the vein of say Highlander. You know, I, I, and uh, and it's also got some cosmic horror elements to it that will kind of unfold as uh, as the story continues. So since we
1: since we do read a lot of first
2: issues, I think uh,
1: I wanted to pay you a compliment when we're talking about Night's Temporal specifically because it did so many good things for me and left me asking so many questions, wanting to know so much more about, like, the world that's being built and where it's going to go. It did just the right amount of giving me you know all the juicy good action and information that I want and leaving me um curious about what's next uh what goes what goes into writing a first issue for you I know that's a pretty vague question but you know I, we think so many of the things that you do are kind of like master classes for first issues they stand out a lo- among the um, lot of books that we're reading
2: well thank you um you know first issues are tough because uh you know so much heavy lifting has to go into into that issue and for me i always it's a, it's a little bit of a balance because i want to give the reader enough that they understand you know understand the basics of the world and the characters and they get what's going on but i never want to give them so much that i'm telling them everything in the in the first issue i don't want to uh, you know if if with Night, night's temporal for instance absolutely has elements that are confusing and intentionally so because i don't you know i could have easily said uh august has gone through time but the secret is you know and then reveal Mm -hmm. it um and instead i'd rather reveal enough that we know that he's going through time but there's something wonky about it there's something not uh not traditional time travel uh and hopefully get people to read the next issue trying to figure it out and, uh, and I don't reveal all of it in the next issue either. I just you know, I, I, I reveal I kind of feed you know bits and pieces of the truth out until you know until most of it comes together. because I feel like that makes it a more uh, uh, immersive experience. I feel like the readers are experiencing along with the characters in some degree. And I feel like it makes it feel more real uh, when readers are are learning as you go along instead of being, you know, having a big info dump of, you know, this is the, you know, this is the world you're about to explore, uh, which maybe has its place in some books. But uh, in, the, in, in most of mine, I'd rather throw the reader into it, let them kind of accept that this is what's going on, and they learn with, you know, they learn right along as the story's going.
0: Yeah, it, it's a fun book to discuss with another group, too, because we, in our, in our club, we tried to figure out, like, what exactly are these like crystal like things? What, oh, yeah. what do they hold? <laughs> um, and then like, what's the, is her name Jane fool? Uh, yes. Jane yeah. fool. Yeah. Like what, what is her intention? Um, definitely doesn't seem like completely like uh, good. Um, and like where, how is she going to direct this narrative was fun to just kind of debate and stuff. So it's, yeah. Well,
2: uh, you know, if, you know, with Knights Temporal in particular, I'm hoping that, everything you think, you know, the debates that you're having, um, I'm hoping they're all that you're all wrong. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that I surprise you with where it's going and, and what, uh, uh you know, what the, the motivation of these various, uh, entities and, and characters are.
0: Cool. Well, I can't wait for that then. Cause that's, that seems to be like the best kind of book. I'm often wrong though. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything that you want to like uh, leave or say or promote or have anything um, that you have coming that you want to hype people up on?
2: Well, I just uh, you know I, I I'd love it if people if you haven't read Nights Temporal if you haven't read Manor Black you can still uh, still get them at your local comic shop and and if you like it uh, absolutely please tell your your retailer that you'd like to to subscribe to it and have them pull it for you. Um, you know, it does help with, with books, especially indie books like those. Um, and, uh, and if you read them and like them, I'd love for you, you know, let me know. Uh, you can find me very easily on Twitter. It's, uh, just at Cullen Bun, And, uh, I love to hear from people who have, uh, I'd love to hear what people think of of the books.
0: Cool. Well, we sing your praises a lot, so um, we were so overjoyed to have you here. So thanks so much. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, totally.
2: This has been another episode of First Issue Club. We are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Our music is provided by Primary Color Music. We are recorded in KCUR Studios. You can find us, rate us, friend, and follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, and your favorite listening platforms at First Issue Club, F-I-R-S-T.